Hey guys, I am here and I'm excited about this one. I've had this one set up for a while. I've got, oh, I don't even know how to start. <laughs> this young lady, this young lady is not only a New York Times bestseller, but an international bestseller. I have author Lynn Hightower. Lynn, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I am absolutely delighted to be doing this. All right. So, Lynn, you've got a bunch of books out. They're all thrillers. Mm -hmm. And we're yeah. mainly going to talk about your new book because it's right up our alley here. Your new one comes out March 1st. So it's right around the corner. It's called The Enlightenment Project. Mm -hmm. And would I be wrong in saying that this book was partially inspired with your fascination with The Exorcist and the whole Roland Dole story, the true story, not necessarily the book, but the true story. And what happened to Roland Doe after the possession? Most people know what happened during in the, in the movie that uh, obviously William Peter Blatty put out The Exorcist. And it was all based on that. Mm -hmm. But not a, not a lot is known about Roland Doe. And actually, that's not even his real name. I, his real name escapes me. You oh. probably know it. His, no, I don't know his real name. It's a pseudonym. And um he has never spoken publicly since the uh, final exorcism. And that one was done in 1949 at Alexian Hospital, okay? And it was in St. Louis. It was done by two Jesuit priests. And, and he had had previous exorcisms and this one took, this one worked. And afterward he said, I'm free now, I'm okay. And um, they sealed that hospital room no one ever went in it again. Um, the two Jesuit priests died. The hospital was demolished, but he got married and he had, I think, two children and a career. And he never, ever spoke of it publicly, ever. But it worked and he had a good life. And yeah, I mean, it, and it's hard to believe in today's age. That wouldn't happen. There's no way he could stay out of the limelight in today's age with the internet and the, and the news media. But in the late 40s, I guess you could find a way to do that. You could, but you know, if you, um, if you have an issue and you think you've got demonic oppression or demonic infestation in your house, you can keep it, um, you can keep it anonymous. You can work with priests, you can work with psychiatrists. And they're not going to tell your story without your permission. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. But I think as far as like, if for, it, like, like we all know who Roland Doe is just based on the fact of, of what right. happened. And right. I would think once, once that got out, somebody would track him down in today's world. Oh, absolutely. And just oh, you're absolutely right. In fact, there was a um, really interesting story. Uh, it took place in 2011 but it didn't hit the news until 2014. And it was about a woman named Latoya Ammons, her mother and her two children. Are you familiar with that story? Mm -hmm. Gary, Indiana, yes. Yeah, Gary, Indiana. And um, you know, it, it, it blew me away that she wound up in the emergency room saying, listen, my children are possessed and I need help. And I don't know where to go. So somebody needs to help me. And um, that, uh, CPS case file was like 800 pages and they did take her children away from her for about six months, but she got them back. And um, 
a priest did exorcisms on her and, and the kids and um, they all, uh, they're all okay now, they moved. And it seemed to be centered about uh, around a demonic infestation in a rental house they had. And one of the priests I researched said that 80% of the demonic, demonic issues that they deal with are like haunted house infestations. And he says, you, you can tell the difference between a ghost and a demonic issue. They're very different manifestations. A ghost is trying to get your attention and uh, the demonic is trying to ruin your life. <laughs> Big difference. It's malevolent. You'll know. Yeah. Here's my biggest problem with that story. And it's yes. not anything to do with what she claimed because I mm -hmm. believe she believes everything that was going on. And, I, and I'm sure there was something going on. What yeah. I didn't like is, is when CPS stepped in, in order to, to give her the ability to get her children back, she literally had to change some of her religious beliefs, not beliefs, but, you know, she used to make their kids, I think, write Bible verses and stuff like that. And they, they made it mandatory as part of the court ruling that she couldn't do any of that. And she had to stop some of the religious practices that she had. And I've always felt the courts look at everything strictly from a legal perspective, and they don't take anything spiritual into it. And for them to, to make uh, rules and regulations like that is basically them saying she's full of crap. It couldn't have had anything to do spiritually. It was all mental or uh, uh, a psychological problem on her behalf. And mm -hmm. if she was causing this, and I just yeah. felt that that's wrong to make that assumption when you, I, that's just I wrong. I agree with you a hundred percent. And the courts, well, I, I don't think, I think the courts are way behind this. And I, I believe her religious rights were violated just like you do, but modern medical practice is completely different. Um, I did a lot of research on that and you know, most, uh, so many medical practices now are, are about combining the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. And these are regular standard practices like um, integrative medicine, psychoneurology, um, you know, where they, they, they treat your mind and your spirit and your body. And, and how could you possibly separate that anyway, you know? Right. Um, and when I was uh, researching I, did you know that M. Scott Peck, you know, he did um, The People of the Lie, and he was a well-known psychiatrist who wrote a lot of mm -hmm. wellness books, right? Did you know that he spent the last few years of his practice doing exorcisms? I didn't until I, I had read something when I was actually getting ready for this interview. I found that fascinating. Oh, I did too. Uh, he wrote a book called Glimpse of the Devil. And I looked at that and I was, I was just shocked. Um, he said he went into it, um, you know, with patients who felt they were possessed and um, they were, you know, they were exhibiting, there's pretty standard symptoms, okay? Which are inordinate strength. I think we all know these by heart, right? Um, knowledge of hidden things that you shouldn't know, uh, maybe speaking in tongue, um, foaming at the mouth, eyes turning yellow. By the way, I consulted a psychiatrist who had a couple of patients that she wasn't sure what was going on with them, but their eye color changed. 
and they were speaking languages that they shouldn't have known. And she was very uneasy about that. Uh, <laughs> I would think she so. She couldn't, couldn't give me too many details due to confidentiality, but I'm thinking, huh. But anyway, he started out as a complete non-believer. And so he treated a patient and then he became a hundred percent believer. And he really wanted the um, psychiatric community to make it a recognized condition, which they have now. Um, possession is now a, a condition in the DSM. So let's talk about that real quick. So you, you had actually, the, we're talking to Lynn Hightower, the Enlightenment Project is her new thriller that's coming out on March 1st. And you did a lot of research. Mm-hmm. And what did you think when you found out that now there are actually psychologists, psychiatrists out there that are working with exorcists in some oh, situations, hand hand in hand? I was shocked, but I also think it's a, I think it's wonderful because instead of having two camps, either or, you've got okay, we're here for the person who's in trouble for the person who's in pain, who's experiencing something that's terrifying and they want it to stop one way or the other. So if you have the, and and now it's kind of flipped, you know, it used to be um, the exorcists are so mainstream and they're the skeptics. They're like, well, I don't know if you're really possessed. You You gotta talk to a psychiatrist. We want you to talk to a doctor. We certainly don't want to give you an exorcism when what you really have is schizophrenia where you really need medication or something different. So they're harder to convince than psychiatrists are these days. Um, But it is a healing ministry, a ministry of deliverance. That's what exorcism is. So um, I think it's wonderful that they're working together, that we've got the, well, you know, we'll help them if it's a psychiatric problem, we'll help them if it's a possession problem, and we'll help them if the exorcism, listen, if the exorcism works and they're, they're delivered from this uh, agony, that's a win for everybody. So I, I think it's great. I, I like it a lot. Tell me about the new book, The Enlightenment Project. Tell me what people, if, if they are unfamiliar, uh, obviously haven't seen the book yet because it's not out yet. I got lucky to get a, uh, an early copy. Mm-hmm. Tell people what they're going to get when they get their hands on the Enlightenment Project. Well, it's almost a medical thriller because, um, you know, I was inspired by Roland Doe, the child that had was possessed and had an exorcism at a young age. And, you know, that's got to create a lot of childhood trauma. Right. So I wanted to know what happened to them when he grew up. And my character, uh, Noah, Noah was born, Noah Archer. And he's a neurologist, a neurosurgeon, actually. He's a total science guy. It, uh, he has a great deal of shame about being possessed and why did it happen to him? You know, was he weak? Was he open to it? Did he do something wrong? He has a great deal of trauma. Um, and uh, he's created a research project called the Enlightenment Project that creates enlightenment on demand Basically, it's a stimulation of of neurons in the brain uh, that stimulate all the spiritual regions of the brain, which are like a map all over the brain. We are hardwired for religion. Our brain is wired for spirituality. It's a survival technique. It's a survival skill that is um, born within us. So he's using it to cure, hopefully, addiction, depression, um, mental illness, and 
for people who are possessed or if it ever happens to them again, it is a way for them to be strong and fight, you know, whatever is coming toward them uh, mentally. So, uh, but it, uh, the project is hugely successful. The only problem is that, you know, some of the people have great enlightenment for the good and some of them have a very dark enlightenment for the bad and they are open to being possessed. So he has created a problem that he's trying to solve. I think that's pretty much in a nutshell it because the, my listeners know I am not a big reader. Uh, I read out of necessity more for fun. But uh, when I got my hands on this, I actually mm-hmm. finished it in about two days, which for me thank is quite you. the accomplishment. Yes. So oh, it's it was you. very hard to put down. And, uh, you know, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's uh, like I said, it's it kept my interest and it takes a lot for that. But it's like I said, it's right in our wheelhouse. And I, I found it fascinating. And for something that's not a true story, it's got so many true elements in it. Uh, it was obvious reading the book that you'd done your research. So, right, because I was so fascinated by exorcism, and I'm thinking, well, could it be real? What's really going on? And every day I do more research. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, what? Are you kidding me? I was like, here it is in this science. Here it is in this psychiatrist. Oh yes, this psychiatrist at Columbia. He's been working with exorcists for 20 years, and um, and what I found really interesting was. Uh, now the um, sociologists are studying it very academically. And um, there are two Italian sociologists who got their hands on 10 pages of detailed exorcism notes from an exorcist. And they compiled all the information and they came up with the most likely victim, the most likely person who will be possessed, which is really only about five people who have issues. And it surprised me male between the ages of 40 and 50, uh, very successful at business, very successful financially and socially. And, you know, these aren't the guys that you would expect to be almost crippled by exorcisms. And they're usually in pretty deep and it takes quite some time. Did you know that they'll be doing like half a million exorcisms in Italy every year? That's crazy. No, I had no clue it was anywhere near that amount. I know they blew me away. I was gonna say, I I know during the satanic panic of the late 80s, they had really ramped up. (laughs) They ramped up on all of the uh, uh, exorcisms and and sent a lot of priests over there to become exorcists to Italy. And, you know, matter of fact, we we, uh, uh, actually had the, the gentleman from the right on uh, Dr. Gary, uh, uh, Father oh, Gary Thomas. Gary Thomas, yes, I studied him quite a bit. And, I and uh, yeah. it, you know, he was he was one of the ones that was probably the most famous that came out of that group because of the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was, it's just amazing. But I had no clue that it was anywhere near that amount um, in this day and age. It is, and it's, it's actually escalating. In fact, the pandemic has really up from my desk from um, a Southern California exorcism team. Uh, And what they told me was that, um, how did he put it? More people of goodwill, and I like that he makes that point. He doesn't blame them. He said, these are people of goodwill are, are experiencing various forms of spiritual attack. And he said that their, their exorcism team is overwhelmed because I said to him, 
would you want to do a show or a signing with me? And he said, I'd love to, but we are so overwhelmed that if we got publicity of where we are and who we are, <laughs> we wouldn't be able to get through the day. He, he said, we, I sat and talked it over with my exorcism team and they just said, man, we're barely hanging on now. We can't do anything to, to escalate this. So, um, so it's worse. It's, it's, it's more prevalent. It's stronger. It's happening more and more in, I love this in Milan, they set up an exorcism hotline, possession hotline, where you would call if you thought you were possessed or you're under some kind of spiritual attack. And it, it went down, the, the hotline went down because it was just overwhelmed with calls. You know, they couldn't even keep it going because so many people were calling and saying, help, there's this, there's that, help. And most, most of them are experiencing something and they can be helped, but most of them are not full on possessed where they would need an exorcism. The percentage of that is about 5%. But on the other hand, this is a healing ministry so they can help them. You know, mm -hmm. they can help them with whatever it is they do need. So, yeah. I know to your point, I was, uh, Bishop James Long says that he literally gets thousands of emails every month from people that feel like they have a possession. Yeah. It's shocking how, how, um, how many people feel like they're in trouble and it's really mainstream. I mean, the exorcists are on YouTube um they 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 call in exorcisms they um gosh they get texts demonic texts when they're getting ready to go i was reading one account and one priest who was writing and he said yeah when we when we're getting ready to go do an exorcism we often get texts from um the demonic that's um haunting this person and they'll just say things like She's ours. You will never get her free. Anything to just, you know, demoralize everybody and make them nervous. Yeah. So just, just every time I think, wait, what? I get another piece of <laughs> It's like, oh, okay. Well, it's, it's just mainstream. It's run of the mill now. Everybody's, but you know, possession, uh, this kind of possession has been around since the beginning of mankind and they have we have always worried people have always worried about it it's been a part of every culture and you know it's not just in the u.s it's all over the world so i want to switch gears for a second obviously we're here talking to lynn hightower about the enlightenment project her new book to be out march 1st and we're going to get back to that book but i you wrote a book that's on another subject that we've covered on this show Phone Calls from the Dead. Yeah. Tell me about that book and what inspired you to write that? Well, the name of the book is The Piper. And what inspired me to write that was I was just Googling around and I found an article called Phone Calls from the Dead. And I'm like, oh, that sounds so fascinating. Of course, it's not real. But who, who told this is a great story? And I said, no, it was, a, uh, it was an article about actual phone calls from the dead. And, um, you know, there was a terrible um, train wreck in California uh, years ago. And um, one of the people that was in the first car and he was pulverized, there was not, nothing left of him or his phone, which they didn't know at the time. 
his family started getting call after call after call, his wife, his ex-wife, his kids, his sister, everybody. And so, you know, they were getting in touch with the emergency authorities and saying, well, he's got to be alive. He's got to be calling for help. So find him, find him. No. And uh, Dean Koontz uh, has an account where his mother called him years after she died and told him, Dean, you need to be very careful today. And he was going to a nursing home to visit his stepfather who had um, some kind of dementia, some kind of cognitive, severe cognitive issues. And uh, he um, attacked him with a knife that he'd gotten hold of. And so just as he was wrestling the knife out of the hands of his stepfather, who was trying to kill him, the police arrived. But they assumed that the elderly mm-hmm. man was, you've heard this story, was the one under mm-hmm. attack and they were going after Dean Coons. So, yeah, his mom, you know, was um, protecting him. And so I, uh, I was telling a friend of mine, another writer, uh, about this. She doesn't believe in any supernatural things and uh, thinks my fiction is hugely disturbing, but she likes me. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and she'll listen to me talk, you know, plot with her. But she said, oh, uh, actually, phone calls from the dead, that happened to me, to my husband. She said, we were sound asleep. It was years after his mother died. And his phone rings and he sits up and I hear him say, mom? Oh, oh, okay. She said at this time, she's like, he said, mom, what's going on? So she's sitting up in bed watching him. And he's like, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'm fine. I love you too. And she said, and he hangs up and she says, who was that? And he said, that was mom. That was mom. And, you know, as, as you find in a lot of these accounts, he, he said the line was very staticky. And in the distance, he could hear bells ringing. I'm not sure what all of that means. But, um, and this condo collapse down in Florida that happened just a while back. Oh, yes. They had phone calls from uh, an older couple who were were calling their family and they got like a lot of calls like in like a 24, 48 hour period. But um, but they were going, you know. It's it's sad, but at the same time, it's encouraging. Oh, I think so, too, because I think it's just you know, there's the yin and the yang, right? The yin is the invisible world and the yang is the visible world. But, you know, I was doing research on the brain and the consciousness and the brain, I think, filters out so much that we don't see. It just keeps us on the straight and narrow corridor, you know? But there's all kinds of things that we're filtering out that are out there, in my opinion. So, um yeah, I, I think it's very comforting that someone can call you and say, hey, I am a presence. I, you know, I'm not in your physical world, but I am a presence. And if you, um, you know, even now, the quantum mechanics and biocentrism, to their absolute horror, have discovered that if energy can't be destroyed, then there is no death. These scientists are so upset by this because it totally shifts their worldview. And, you know, it's like Bigfoot came and sat in their office for coffee and they're like, no, no, this cannot be happening. But um, 
<laughs> but no, it, it, you know, and they just said, well, no, and there can't be, there is no death. So what happens? Where do we go? It's fascinating. It absolutely is. Lynn, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you. How can all of our listeners find out about everything that is Lynn Hightower and how can they get your books? Oh, very easily. Go to lynnhightower.com and it will have all of my books with a little description and you can see if that's something you might like. And then there are links to whatever kind of bookstore you like. If you like Amazon, there's a link to that. If you want an independent bookstore, there's a link to that. You can just click the link and buy the book. And it's, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are just uh, the research I did on my latest book. Um, oh, and there's the best part of it is I have a beautiful shot of my dog. She's gorgeous. Nice. <laughs> and we all love our dogs, don't we? We do. Mm-hmm. Lynn Hightower, the new book, The Enlightenment Project. By the time you hear this, this book will be out March 1st. Get it, read it. You're going to love it. And make sure you leave a review at wherever you bought the book. Thank you, Lynn. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs>